So I'm Anthony Hall, and this class is called Money, Culture, and Globalization. And uh, today is November the 8th, and uh, there is uh, Lieutenant Veal, Jonathan Veal, uh, with his new uh, laptop. Uh, I believe he's in Belgium. And uh, as you can see, uh, Professor Spooner is in uh, Regina with a group uh, who he's assembled. Um, Joyce Green worked with us, Professor Green at the University of Regina. And uh, so we're going to speak with the group in Regina about activism, student activism. Uh, the lecture or the event tonight is called uh, Where the Local Meets the Global, Student Activism in the Public Interest. And one of the things going on at the University of Regina is an effort to establish a PERG, a public interest research group, like we have here at the University of Lethbridge. And I'm, I introduced you last week to Sheila Rogers, who's sitting in the corner there. Sheila Rogers is the staff person from LPERG. Uh, Aaron Chubb, who uh, we're hearing on uh, the phone from uh, Edmonton, played a big role in establishing uh, the LPERG. The LPERG has a, a financial flow through your tuition. Uh, you are, in a sense, investors in the PERGs. And so uh, what are the PERGs? What do they do? What could they do? Uh, what about student activism in the public interest? Uh, tonight, uh, James Moore is uh, cultivating the chat line, and uh, the effort is to be as interactive as possible to make links with those who are out uh, in cyberspace. Um, and he has brought in um, uh, a friend, uh, I guess, are you staying at the Moors? Uh, Alexandra, uh, I'm, I'm not saying it as well as I might, but from Bolivia with Canada World Youth. And uh, so we can talk about uh, student politics in, in Bolivia. Um, I'm hoping that tonight I can um, somewhat uh, sit back um, and um, uh, allow uh, Sheila and uh, Aaron and uh, Professor Spooner uh, to uh, lead the show in a way. But I would like to uh, introduce it with a, a reference to what's going on on the website. Um, this is... Uh, part of our continuing coverage of the cover-up of the massive explosions at uh, forward operating base Falcon in Baghdad. And uh, actually, it was Joey Snipe sent me this uh, connection here. But if we, can you see, uh, can you see in Regina, we're about to see uh, what some are wondering, is it a, a nuclear explosion of a tactical nuclear weapon? Yeah. At, uh, at that massive uh, event. So that, I've never seen a, an explosion quite like that, although when you, when you look at, uh, that's a, a trademark of how nuclear devices, they, they, they put out this tremendous surge of white light. So um, I've uh, written an article trying to put this in context, going back into the Cold War, uh, how the media has been manipulated. It's a major theme that we've been developing throughout the course of our work uh, 
we started with the question, what is truth? And uh, we got to the point where we looked at the 9-11 truth movement. Um, and uh, if we, if we uh, go to that site, I just put up today a clip connected to the tonight's gathering, tonight's event. So uh, to, to give what we're doing here a little historical context, last year, uh, Dr. Spooner, and he wasn't yet Dr. Spooner, he was just finishing his PhD, was at the University of Ottawa. And we did a class where we talked about student activism with a professor of physics who is teaching a course in activism. And uh, uh, so his presentation will be up on the web tomorrow. But at the end of the event, uh, Dr. Spooner uh, contributed as follows. So I'll run this clip. And uh, hope, hopefully uh, we can get sound and we can see it in the, in the network. So is this going to work? I'm still working on the stream. But, but we can get the sound up? Absolutely. Sure. Perhaps someone over there would like to uh, let me know what you 
We're still here, and uh, it's very attentive over here. What does that have to do with University Watch? Students taking up the fight, and with some very brave professors. 
Okay, so that uh, puts it in some context that we have an ongoing uh, discussion. That was the University of Ottawa. Uh, that was a missing tape. I, I, I found it and dug it up today um, anyway. So there it is uh, uh, to introduce uh, the subject. Uh, did I introduce uh, Samantha Power, um, who is president of the student union at the University of Alberta? Uh, are you there, Samantha? I am. Thank you so much for, for joining us. So we've got uh, the staff person from Alperg at the University of Lethbridge, the staff person from the PERG at uh, University of Alberta. We've got a group in Regina who are engaged in many, in many subjects in many ways and, and are attempting to establish a PERG in the University of Regina. And uh, so I'll put it out uh, for this uh, very uh, marvelous uh, marvelous group of uh, student activists, of politicians, people who uh, are stepping forward and trying to make a difference in the community, trying to uh, be in a sense accountable for making some change and uh, standing up for what they believe in. Um, and uh, I'll pass it over to uh, Regina um, and, and uh, Dr. Spooners, uh, I'm sure you've got your own way of getting into the subject. and. Feel free out there at, uh, in, in Edmonton to jump in. And I don't know if Jonathan is out there. Great that you could make it in tonight from Belgium. And uh, let's, let's go. Let's see what we can come up with. All right. First, I'd like to begin by saying how honored I am to be in the company of such vibrant and active students, both here and at the local sites that you have as well. And uh, to be working in collaboration with you, Dr. Tony Hall. It's been a real pleasure, and I believe that this represents such an important and groundbreaking uh, way to use technology, to use technology to our advantage, not just to commodify technology. Perhaps this talks a little bit about what I've already said last year, but I didn't get to actually hear what I said last year, so I might be repeating myself. But I still believe that, that we are laying an important uh, foundation for many years to come by example, leading by example, combining different versions of technology to get our message across and to help uh, people work in solidarity towards a common goal, which I think we all share, and that's to bring about a better, a better world, both locally and globally, uh, to bring about social justice, to bring about causes that help humans live together in a more peaceful manner, in a more egalitarian manner, For some reason, in a more the, sustainable the, manner. The image from Regina is frozen, unless you're that still. I don't think you could be that still. Uh, we are still with um, our conviction that these issues are so important, Tony, that we are frozen uh, because it's the power of the thought and the message that we want to spread. And before I talk too much, uh, uh, wax on eloquently perhaps, I'd like to introduce the students that are with me here today. To, to my left, I, Mark? Yes. Uh, could, uh, before we do that, could we maybe just try reconnecting to you really quickly so we can... Uh, sure. What does that entail that I do? Uh, 
sit and cross your fingers. All right, we can do that. All right, uh, we'll, but we'll, we'll do it with conviction. <laughs> All right, thanks. Yeah, this whole network's just, just funny freaking today. out. Everything. Yeah. Everything. There you go. There you go. Okay. All right. Sorry about that, Mark. I won't interrupt you anymore. So we're back on? Yeah, and you're moving around like live human <laughs> beings. Excellent, because I was worried that perhaps the powers that be had uh, shut us down before we could convey the full impact of our important <laughs> message. Why but we you... will not be deterred. And uh, why don't we just mostly point the camera towards you guys, because it's students to students, eh? That this would be the ideal. Um, so are you crazy? Let's get the what camera. What are you doing? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's speaking go. of students, I'd like to introduce the fine collection of students and student activists I have before me. Um, to my immediate left is Alex, who's um, going to be a teacher, and he's uh, just interested in these issues and wanted to learn more. We have uh, Scott over here, who's uh, an education student as well. He's involved with the Campus Greens as well as the Students for uh, Sustainability. And then we have Hillary, who was an ex-Vice President of External Affairs and a poli-sci student. Joyce Green's poli-sci student. Anyway. Yes, that's right. Hi, Hillary. Nice to see you. Hi. Yeah. And then uh, we have the President of the University of Regina Student Union, Amanda. And also we have Dagan who is considering running in the next year's election for the student union. And he's also our big PERG advocate and uh, also a poli-sci student, anthropology student, and musician. <laughs> so we welcome you and uh, we, uh, we hope that you uh, welcome us for this duration of this course. And I'm planning on it hopefully to be a very interactive student exchange of ideas, of feelings, of thoughts, of action. And uh, I'm not sure how much you want me to continue at this point, or did Sheila want to start, or how did you want to work that, Tony? Uh, well, my sense is let's, you've introduced people, but let's, let's hear a bit from you. Let's, uh, you said names, we know, we, we can connect your names, but let's hear some, some words. Great. Um, I think what I think I think what would be interesting is if the students actually spoke and said what motivated them to take part in this initiative tonight and what motivates them to uh, take part on activities around campus and in our communities. So to switch it up, I might start with Dagan or any student who wanted to start. But if you wanted to keep order, would you uh, be willing to sure. talk a little bit about what motivated you and maybe some questions you may have for that group or for Tony or Sheila or. Aaron and any other other people in <coughs> around the world. So. Yeah, well, I uh, I'm Dagan Harding, poli sci student. Um, I first got introduced to the Perg idea through Mark, and uh, became a huge fan of the idea. I think that um, there isn't really anything negative about the idea that would be experienced by the campus community at the U of R. In fact, I think that it would. Do a lot of great things to uh, enhance the community at the U of R. Um, so that's my main reason for being here is I'd like to learn more about the PERG idea 
and uh, talk with uh, people that have been integral in instituting the PERG ideas on their own campuses. Um, I think it's going to be difficult to do at the U of R here, but I think there's a lot of committed people that want to see uh, an institutional change and a direction towards more of a socially mandated university. So that's my main reason for being here. Other questions at this point? Anyone in your class? Anyone there on the web? If not, I'll move on, but if you have a question, feel free to interject. Um, Amanda, as president of the student union, how do you? Okay, sure. Um, well, obviously, with being involved with the students' union, uh, these issues are something that's really important, that are really important to me. We ran our, our election campaign based on a lot of the social issues that um, the PERG represents. So um, in the first month of school, I had the pleasure of meeting Mark, and we sat down, we had a conversation. It was really exciting to see with the momentum on campus towards the creation and the strengthening of a campus community, the idea of this PERG to sort of embrace all of these initiatives that we have going and the sort of groups and just the idea that we had faculty that were thinking along the same lines and wanting to move this campus into a place that was really reflective of a campus that I wanted to be a part of. So that's the reason why I'm here today to help develop this idea to make it a realistic option for this campus because I do think it's possible and I think students will um, buy into it per se. We just have to uh, convince them why it's important. Yeah. I think that there's another thing. Uh, Amanda was recently invited to go to Israel and I think that that would be interesting to hear maybe a bit about. Can you tell us about who invited you and why? Sure. Um, it's I, I still don't know that much about the org actual organization. All I, I know that it is funded by the Israeli <coughs> government. But um, my friend from Dalhousie University went to it last year and he nominated me. And when I was first um, approached with the idea of going, I sat down, I was actually in Halifax, so I had the opportunity to talk with him. He made it very clear to me that this was a trip. They, they select 14 young people from across Canada and they take them to Israel to meet with Israeli and Palestinian leaders. And they very much focus on the idea that the people that they're sending are going to be people who are going to play a significant role in Canadian politics as the years go on. So, I mean, they in the application process and the, the sort of route that we're coming at it from is that we had to play it up like we didn't have a stance that we're very open-minded because it is the Israeli government paying for us to go and they want us to be, they're hoping that they can make us sympathetic to them in the end. When the fact is what we're hoping to do is to get more and more people who are educated on the issues to go to actually be able to experience that experience and bring it back to Canadian politics so that we can be more effective in, um, in international relations. I think that that raises some interesting issues in terms of being open-minded and yet critical or skeptical about any message you hear and wanting to look into all the facts before you make up your mind on different issues, but the Israeli-Palestine conflict uh, is definitely one that is experienced on many campuses across Canada, I think, and, it, and it's quite an important issue. The Mark? thing that I think is, is really important about it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just uh, thought maybe uh, Samantha could be on deck to respond to your remarks, given that you're both student union presidents. Maybe sure, sure, it's an yeah, opportunity okay. for the two to commiserate a little bit about the kind of challenges and and frustrations and hopes and and uh, dilemmas that that you might face in in, in a job where everybody's looking at you, expecting uh, you to deliver in different ways. Um, so. Uh, you, you, you're there, Samantha? You're yeah. hearing this? Yeah. And, and of course, Aaron has the experience of starting a PERG. 
you know, of, of seeing it through. I, I watched him for many years, uh, you know, just systematically, step by step by step, going through, going through the process. So, uh, anyway, with that thought, let me pull back and continue. Amanda, if you would, with the thought that Samantha's going to respond. Sure. The, the one thing that I just wanted to make um, make known is that there are a lot of organizations that offer these sorts of opportunities to students. And um, just the fact that they may be organized by groups that we may not necessarily support based on our ideal ideologies and where we stand does not mean that we shouldn't try and take part in them because the fact that they're making experiences like this available for students who don't know is problematic in that sense. So I, I think it's just to, you know, be open enough to explore opportunities that may not be something that you would initially jump at because it will help the cause more in the long run. That's all. Samantha? Um, did you want me to comment on, on student activism? And You can talk about whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, well, I was just going to mention uh, and talk a little bit about sort of the continuum I see of, of advocacy and activism and, and what you were speaking about, the difficulties of being um, in this position on, a con on sort of thinking about activism in that way. I don't like to think of myself as a student politician, but as an, a an activist who's taken on a different role. Um, and that we really need to look for more um, more connections between activism, between the more radical aspects and the people who are talking and getting involved in the horrible bureaucracies that universities are um, and trying to make a difference there. Uh, and uh, that's, that's sort of um, why I like being uh, connected to the PERG here on campus and why I'm really glad that Aaron asked me to come tonight uh, and why I have a connection here um, because I'd like to see, you know, the more radical aspects on campus connected um, into the students' union and some of the people who approach things more from a policy perspective um, and that those two really need to be working together. So that's sort of my comments on that. When you say radical, what, what does that word conjure up for you? What, what do you suggest you would like to see more of? Well, I, I mean, on campus, radical. I mean, we sort of think of university students or we used to think of university students as people who would put on, you know, huge rallies and get upset about things and actually make issues of ideas. And um, I'd like to see that more on our campus, um, see, to see more uh, activism, people holding events and stunts and things like that to bring attention to issues that they care about. Um, and I think to some extent we have that, but I think um, we can help students a lot more in creating those uh, events on campus. In just about every uh, major social movement for significant change, students lead the way. Uh, you, know, you see through Central America, time and time again, it's, uh, students are the core group. Tiananmen Square, we've talked a lot about uh, Tiananmen Square at different times, informally and informally. Um, you know, students are the part of society that you, know, t you would look to as the most uh, open to change and the most uh, progressive in some ways. Yeah, hi, uh, Aaron here. You must be on a super highway there or something. Where? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, no, I don't know. We're on the information highway. Each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just uh, like what Sam's saying about um, like how she feels about. Uh, what radicalness is among okay. students. Um, I think that we share a lot of that, that 
that something has been uh, I mean, I guess lost in some sense, but I don't think it's that lost in in students being involved with with social, broader social movements. And uh, I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm involved with PERGS um, because I mean, students know the issues of the day, right? They know what's wrong with the world, but they just they don't know what to do about them, right? They don't have either they don't have the tools, or I mean, students are marginalized through high tuition rates, so they have so spent so much time like trying to pay for their tuition that they can never actually get involved with the readings they want to do and so like they're marginalized in that way and so like we really want to make it easier for students to take these radical stances by providing them tools and uh, networking and and other options like that funding I'd have to say that we agree, um, URSU here, the Students' Union, we really feel that the exact same way that there are a lot of students on campus that are represented by these various little groups of clubs and societies, but there is so much bureaucracy and that the process to actually make change happen can be very, very hard and very a, a lot of work. So we think that URSU should be providing a fundamental role in that, and we think that the PERG is uh, <coughs> a perfect fit in that because it will allow us to be able to unite all of those people together under one common cause and then work together with a students union that is sympathetic just the exact same way that it sounds sort of like the U of A is operating. I'm uh, seeing a clear picture now of uh, Jonathan Veal. Jonathan, do you hear me? I hear you well. Do you hear yeah, me? what time is it uh, over there in Belgium? I think it's uh, 3 a.m. right now. 3 a.m., yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're in a cathedral or something, or what? No, it's not that elegant. Actually, I'm on a, a rather dangerous street right now, where I can uh, pick up a really strong internet connection. And uh, I have to say, right now, I'm totally wireless. I'm uh, running off my battery on my laptop, so I'm gonna get up. The connection might die. And I'm gonna turn around, and you can see uh, Belgium, the home of the European Union. It's really dark right now. That's uh. That's the street behind me right there, and uh, I'm told by my French associates here that it's not such a good idea to be here, but uh, nonetheless, bonjour, bienvenue à Belgique. Shades of uh, Tucker Gomberg in the Starbucks coffee shop in 2003. Well, I, there's, no, uh, there's no Starbucks here, and uh, it's cold right now, and it's starting to rain, so we'll see what happens. But. Well, it's good we got to talk with you because if your battery goes down, uh, I, I'll introduce Jonathan Veal. We'll, we'll see him next week for the class on ecology. Uh, Jonathan Veal has done uh, a research project in, in an independent study on water and the commodification of water. Um, what are you doing in Belgium? Can you give us a, a hint about... Uh, uh, what brought you there and what auspices you're under at the moment? I don't know, are you in your military persona or your... Uh... No, uh, I'm not. Uh, right now I'm studying, uh, studying globalization and uh, how it affects business. I'm, a student at the I'm an undergraduate student at the University of Lethbridge. Um, my last semester is... Uh, <laughs> sorry, there's people walking around me right now. But uh, I'm in my last semester right now and uh, I should be graduating uh, June, with uh, hopefully some students in the class there, and uh, I've applied to uh, other schools, and as you know, uh, Dr. Hall, you were a reference for uh, law for me, so uh, hopefully you gave me a good reference. 
<laughs> Keeping my fingers crossed, man. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I got a confirmation that it went through, so it's it's all oh, in place. That's good. That's yeah. good. And uh, I'm studying globalization from here, uh, particularly when it comes to trade mechanisms and the uh, World Trade Organization. Uh, as you know, like I, I worked as a teaching assistant for you, and uh, I took both of your classes and uh, pursued it from there. So, hello, Lethbridge. And uh, what uh, what class is this, uh, Dr. Hall? Is this, uh, this is money, culture, and globalization, and Jonathan's oh. taken both. So, yeah. So uh, okay. that's great. Uh, so shall we continue the uh, uh, round table in uh, in Regina? Sure. Uh, sorry, I I didn't mean to. I don't want to interrupt. But uh, Jonathan, just on your end, if if you're just sitting back and listening, would you mind uh, muting your microphone so we don't hear the traffic passing? Oh, that's where it's coming from. Yeah. yeah. Belgium. Definitely coming from me. Um, <laughs> I'll uh, try and do that. Hey, thanks, man. Okay. Take it away, Regina. Right. Okay, then. So to Amanda's uh, right, we have Hillary. And uh, what brings you here, Hillary? Um, okay, well, first I have, I have to apologize for my voice. I was at the Ryder game on Sunday, so I don't sound that good. But um, <laughs> what, when, I was, when I tried to think about what brought me into student activism and brought me here today, I don't know. There's probably no one cause or no one reason. It's, I just have the sentiment that if, if we don't do it, who will? And you can't, you can't just ignore things, whether it's, it's this event, just creating dialogue, or it's, or it's taking on a role in a bigger sense. You have to be the change you want to see. Right? But you know, I, think, and I think another thing that was brought up that I wanted to comment on was the link that students have between academics and activism, too, that, that is so important that we we are young and we're progressive and we're willing to change, but we're also getting getting all this information and we're getting into the academic world and we're bridging that gap. That activism can't survive without academics to back it up. Then it is unbased radical action, I think, but activism backed up with academics is solid. I don't know. I think that something students have to remember and something everyone needs to remember is that student issues really are everyone's issues and everyone's issues that they're fighting are also student issues there's no there's no lion we're just one group of activists we're one kind did anyone in Lethbridge want to comment I want to comment all right but I'll I'll, I'll uh, let you comment first if you have some comment Oh no, I'm, I'm trying to uh, facilitate this interactive nature. I'm fascinated by technology used to such good ends. I, I just uh, thought the connection between the academic and activism, I think is very important. You know, we, we, we draw these distinctions, but my experience is in your student years, the, uh, the occasions when you're most likely to really learn about something is when you get involved in taking a stand on something. And, and nothing uh, forces you to make yourself informed more than when you're, you know, you're committing yourself and then you have to justify yourself. And then those other people who are committing themselves, you, you kind of develop a sense that you've got to help one another. Um, one of the uh, events that uh, 
uh, it was a, a, a pivotal event for me, a cathartic event. Uh, and I'm, I've got another introduction to make. So if we can go to the document camera, I won't go into great detail with this, but um, anyway, we, we blocked the train in 1990 during the Indian summer of 1990. Uh, the community that my kids are members of, uh, there's a thousand people in less than one square mile, Ojibwe community, and the injustice of it all was very striking to me. Um, anyway, um, uh, there is, uh, I was with my family, there's the C CNR in the background. Anyway, um, if you push the button, Samson, there's, there's my son, Samson, and it's a, a bit self-indulgent, but uh, uh, there's, so if you can go back and forth between, uh, between him then and, and now. So if you can go to the document camera, oh, the document camera, yeah. Anyway, there's the cousins, and, uh, and it was a very serious matter. Uh, we started on the CNR, Oka was going on, the Canadian Army was in confrontation with the Mohawk warriors in Oka, Elijah Harper had just made his stand in, in Winnipeg, um, and um, there was a tremendous uh, focus on these issues. Uh, this was a, you know, an effort to, to show the positive side of this. So it was no small matter to be asserting um, jurisdiction over you know the national train service but in, in any case I you know I wrote about it and um, so uh, it turned out that I guess the experience of being involved was uh, something that later became the basis for academic work and I, I learned things about that this is a, a U of T publication in 1995 uh, Law Society in the State, Essays in Modern Legal History. So I just thought uh, Hillary's uh, reference to the connection between activism and academic work and the fact that uh, th we need not think of these as separate things. Uh, they, 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 can, they can mix and, and marry in different ways. I just wanted to uh, give my own little uh, experience with that. Is that, uh, you want to you want to give your own deeper reflections on that, on that very important comment, Hillary? Yeah, no, that's a that's a really great example, and that that completely proves what I was thinking about. I, um, if anyone's interested, the reason I got this idea is I read an essay called by Susan George, called "Winning the War on Ideas." I think it was called about that how the left and the progressive uh, parts of society haven't been traditionally as good at linking activism and act. And academics, and therefore not as effective as the right. When you say but, the right has been effective at linking activism and academics, could you could you elaborate? There's well, I think what the essay talked about was that the right has a lot more resources to put into academics and producing research and policy and and actively lobbying as the time and the money to do it and and the left isn't as well endowed. And just to, to build on that, the experience that you had, I think that we're really lucky here in the political science department at the University of Regina with the types of professors that we have because a lot of the main issues that I am most active about, I 
grabbed from papers that I had to write in class yeah. from progressive profs. So yeah. it's neat that it can happen from both ways. Right, university is just where, where this is spurred, like it was said earlier. It's, I mean, it's where all of us got our ideas, I think. And let's face it, you're in uh, Regina. Saskatchewan, you know, has a socialist tradition. Uh, the first socialist government <laughs> in North America was in Saskatchewan in 1944. Tommy Douglas uh, was an activist. He was a Christian activist. He was a Baptist preacher. He believed in the social gospel. He believed in uh, the uh, Christian message that you should love your your fellow human being, and, and we have some responsible for responsibility for one another. And so uh, there you are in Regina, and of course uh, Alberta has a very different uh, political uh, culture, political history. Uh, social credit became the power here. here uh, another take on Christianity, Bible Bill Aberhart, uh, was uh, essentially ran the province from his Bible show on CFCN uh, radio and uh, of course his uh, political heir was Ernest Manning and Preston Manning is Ernest Manning's son so this has a more uh, right-wing heritage you know it's quite a quite a contrast between I think uh, I think we should learn from those uh, well the victories in the past that you speak of here in Saskatchewan but it's time for the second wave yeah. of a renewed activism, a renewed fight for collective rights and uh, for not resting on our laurels in the past. And because I see it now, that's been slowly eroded, both at this university as I experience it and in the general community. I think it's time again for us to pick up and uh, to lead by example like we've done in the past and like we can do again. That's what I was going to say actually to Mark, that even though we have, we're the, the birthplace of socialism theoretically, we've come a long way in 60 years, a really long way. So I don't want to spread the impression that U of R is the socialist haven of Canada because it's not that far. But I have heard lately several students say that it is, the campus is getting more progressive and more accepting. I don't know if that's, if that's true or not, but I hope so. It's really encouraging that if we that we're making some progress anyway. And just while we're on that topic, I think you can also see the great um, struggle between Saskatchewan losing so many of its uh, youth and bright minds to Alberta, to the economic pressures, and yet trying to remain socialist. Um, so I think when capitalism and the allures of uh, economic prosperity meet ideology, um, ideology could tend to get laid, laid aside. But, uh, and I think you can see that as they struggle here with uh, a great drain of their resources, their youth. Uh, over 25% of young people are in Alberta. They've left. They've left Saskatchewan. Also, I think a new twist to sort of the, the CCF and the heritage we have here in Saskatchewan is the sustainability movement is, is something that's very new and that wasn't happening 60 years ago. And the direction that the NDP is taking on environmental policy around nuclear proliferation and uranium up north is really, really atrocious. And I think that that's something that is new and is unique and that Saskatchewan is setting a very un, uh, unconscious precedent for. So I think, yeah. I think that's something that people in Alberta need to be aware of. I think well. we're in a very interesting political time right now because I think that the NDP government has recognized the trend of uh, people flocking to Alberta. And rather than going back in that Saskatchewan sort of history of being creative, 
to appeal to keeping people here. It's trying to adapt the economic principles and and make itself look more like Alberta. a conservative party or like the Alberta the the Alberta government. And I think the youth is really starting to come together around that, saying that's not the future we want to see for this province. And I, I think that right now, especially with there's an NDP convention coming up right away, and a lot of really interesting things are gonna gonna come from that in the movement. And sustainability will be, I think, a driving force behind the youth. And to continue this. Um exchange of ideas as we move along the students that are gathered here I think sustainability is a great segue to Scott um, maybe Scott if you could explain the factors that came to be to bring you here sure yeah I um, I'm, a, I'm a community guy myself I'm I, I love to see people come together I was involved in activism initially back in 2003 uh, going into the lead-up to the war in Iraq and you know the terrible things that 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 happened also, you know, for every action, there's an equally opposite reaction. There was so much community that came together at that time with, with uh, grassroots movements coming together and, uh, you know, forming, forming rallies and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I got, I got heavily involved and unfortunately it took me away from my studies. I dropped out of university, but I took three years off and I, I got involved uh, in a lot of grassroots organizations there's there's some really good uh, grassroots movements happening around issues of sustainability there's a, a Regina equal living uh, which is a grassroots organization that's making these books that's collecting it's it's basically taking um, authors from around the community who are experts in their own right about you know s sustainable living practices in, in terms of environmental and social and economic and putting it all together in a book and selling it and uh, you know uh, creating a sustainable organization that way. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, good groups like Farmer Direct uh, in Regina that is um, uh, they they are taking organic farmers and and selling their organic wheat and, and grains around the world and uh, so they're becoming you know quite quite active. They put together a, a festival that takes place every summer uh, up in Crake, which is a an eco village that's being established, and they have a, a field festival, which is where I actually met Dr. Spooner, and uh, I was on the organizing committee for that. And it's a festival that takes place in a field of hemp, and um, and basically promotes the hemp industry and sustainable agriculture. Is that hemp? Like H E M P hemp. That is correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That they make rope with, and they use it for fiber, yeah. and yeah. Well, the, the thing with hemp right now is it's. Um, it's only being processed in Western Canada for its seed, which which can be pressed into oils and and you know for eating or or to turn into soap. But there's no processing plants in Western Canada right now to harvest the the grain, the stalks, and you know from the stalks is where you get your fibers, where you get your clothing, where you can get your building blocks to make houses and stuff like that. And so that's that's an initiative that I'd like to see push forward in Saskatchewan in terms of getting us more economically sustainable and producing our own things. Um, so so I've been involved with that and then coming back to campus this year, I'm finishing off my education degree, I have two years left, but coming back onto campus, uh, it's been exciting that seeing Amanda and uh, the student union is very progressive. We've got a very progressive faculty in the, in the education faculty that I'm in right now. and. Uh, the time is right for, for social change. It's just a matter of bringing people together from different pockets and different sectors of grassroots organizations. So I'm kind of 
putting myself into kind of dabbling in different groups and maybe just working on on connecting people and connecting groups together so that we can do more stuff together and, and unite around you know certain causes and sustainability is a is a pretty good one to unite around because the three pillars are economic environmental and social and that encompasses basically everything we need to change about our world to survive on this planet so uh, that's where I'm coming from maybe I could uh, intervene a little bit here um, so we've compared Saskatchewan and Alberta we've uh, got representation from the students of Bolivia in the room and uh, I don't know if, uh, if we're going to hear, uh, hear a little bit about that. Um, and uh, number, several students in this class are um, citizens of China and uh, represent a very important constituency in China, which is foreign students, you know, or students studying abroad. And there's all kinds of student issues that arise in, in that context. Um, you mentioned uh, the event uh, on February 15, 2003, just as the United States was gearing up to invade Iraq. Uh, there was an enormous uh, outburst of public opposition around the world to this. And I, and, and I was very conscious that this was something new under the face of the sun. I had never been aware of a, a global day of protest. And here in, um, in, in Lethbridge, we had 600 people come together and march in the streets. I mean, it's one thing to, uh, to go into a, uh, an auditorium, and, uh, uh, but it's another thing to take to the streets. And this is Lethbridge. Uh, and there were uh, you know, demonstrations in um, Banff and uh, about 80 communities in, in Canada. So the coverage on uh, global television networks was all about the demonstrations in London or Madrid. Um, but the depth of it, uh, the fact that people were organizing simultaneously around the world, uh, this to me was an extremely significant movement, ex asserting some kind of citizen's responsibility beyond your, your, you know, being Canadian or being European or being... Bel uh, uh, from Belgium, um, and uh, one of the key organizers was Sheila Rogers, and Sheila Rogers is the staff person uh, on, uh, for Alperg here. Uh, Anne Williams is Sheila Rogers' mother, and Al Anne Williams is kind of the mother of the peace movement of, of Lethbridge, and I think, sh I, I don't think Sheila will in any way be embarrassed for me to, she's proud of her mother, and uh, she's a, a wonderful person, and, and Sheila has a taken up, uh, in, a, in a sense, moved into the, the space that her mother once uh, developed and is taking it in, in her own directions, in her, in, in her own way. So maybe I could uh, use this uh, as the segue into uh, introducing Sheila Rogers, who in a sense works for the student, student body through Alperg. Hi. Um, I'd have to say that uh, certainly those events in the winter and spring of 2003 had a profound effect on me. Um, I had no idea we could get 600 people together in Lethbridge on an issue such as the Iraq War and, and opposing it. And uh, I was amazed by the, the people from all walks of life that came together. I think there was a large representation from the university community. A lot of professors and a lot of students were there. and. Uh, um, 
maybe at this point we can, uh, maybe Aaron would like to talk a little bit about what the students did then. Um, the, the students at the U University of Lethbridge did quite an amazing thing. And before I let Aaron talk, I'll just say one more little thing. I think that that, uh, that idea of global protest and a global day of protest has, has caught on because we have had more and more of that in the anti-war movement. Uh, we had rallies on the anniversaries of the Iraq War. Uh, there was a global uh, day of protest uh, on August 12th this year uh, about the Israeli-Lebanon uh, conflict. And, uh, and that brings to mind, too, just last Saturday, November 4th, I don't know how many people were aware, it was a, a global day of protest for the environment uh, leading up to the talks in, in Nairobi that are taking place this week. So um, there were protests all around the world, and there was one here in Lethbridge organized by university students of the Be Aware Club. Uh, and they, they did a mock funeral, and they got front page coverage in the Herald. So, so I think this idea of global days of protest are, are really catching on, and I think it's a great way of networking. We, not, we didn't just have 600 people in Lethbridge on that day in 2003. We had millions of people throughout the world uh, rallying for a common cause. Now, I don't know, Aaron, if you, if you want to talk a little bit about the student peace camp and, and uh, having water balloons thrown at you in the, in the winter? Yeah, sure. Um, well, uh, yeah, that was probably one of the most, um, I mean, that was a pivotal moment uh, in my, my young life. Like, I'm 25 now, and um, I think that was one of the moments that I could definitely point back and, and say uh, when those water balloons were showering down on me in the middle of m March when we were snowed in, I think I was like, well, there's no going back now. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... Um, Basically, what happened with that? I guess there's been probably quite a bit of turnover at the U of L. So I don't, I don't know if anyone was there who's a student now. Um, I'm sure there's some of you who were, but basically, uh, some of us thought, okay, well, um, the U.S. is going to ignore world public opinion and go ahead with this war anyway. So uh, what do we do now? So we just. Um, well, I guess we'll just try and start up some dialogue by having a, almost, it was pretty much a permanent presence for two weeks. We set up um, set up tents right out below the uh, zoo, which is the campus bar there, and we had about, I think at our peak, we had about 30 tents set up, and we got snowed in, and we got pelted with uh, eggs um, from, uh, well, I found out later who they were, uh, local <laughs> high school students, I think, with uh, families. Uh, uh, they have connections with people in the States who are were going to be sent over to Iraq. And, I mean, that's always a big misunderstanding, right, when people say, uh, oh, you're not supporting the troops because you're being critical of the government. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, what a way to what a way to network with people and to get the the issue um, going. I mean, I think for those two weeks, that was um, everyone on campus was talking about it because ignore it, it was right there. And I almost feel there should be like a plaque there. <laughs> you know, you know the the place, and then it gives an institution a personality, life. You know, people are living on on that space and 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 making a stand and. And of course, there was a lot of opposition to it. There was a lot of harsh things that happened. Because um, you know, yeah, there there was a lot of opposition, but a lot of support too. Um, I don't like every day we'd have uh, anonymous people delivering pizzas and and hot chocolate. Like it would just show up. Um, so a lot of support too. Uh, like you'd see in windows, um, uh, profs putting up uh, peace signs in their windows facing towards us. Um, yeah, it was a good exercise in building community for sure.
while we're on the topic of protest, is the Bolivian student or students that we have included in this, were they part of the protest that occurred not this past summer, but the summer before? The massive protest in, this, in the country that caused the government to fall? And so, is she pressing her button? Or? I, I don't think we can uh, compel anybody to uh, she's respond. Um, she's she's asking, asking about the protest. If for Iraq government? Or? There's some uh, consultation oh, taking place. If you would press the button for, yeah. Yeah, okay. press. Yeah. Um, uh, the question was about um, the global meeting that was about um, against the war for Iraq. Was that, the that wasn't what my question was about. My question was about the the uh, protest specifically in Bolivia regarding when all of the uh, the common people gathered in the capital and I guess you could say overthrew the government, but it was right before Evo Morales came into power that started that whole thing. And I was just wondering if you were a part of that whole movement. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's... Um, I'm not. I'm not really quite sure. Um, there's so many protests and strikes, and um, so many kind of those things in Bolivia that actually I'm not pretty sure which one you're talking about. But okay. yeah, I, maybe you're talking about October when. No, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm it, it wasn't this. It was not this past August, but the August before. So yeah, if protests are happening at the rate that you're saying it may be. Since, since you're mic'd and you're on camera, um, maybe you could just tell us how you came to Canada, uh, how you're seeing the country, how you see the students here, your own experience uh, being a student, and just, just whatever you feel comfortable with rather than us leading you into okay, you know, um, our view of things. I got here like, like two weeks ago uh, for Canada World Youth Program. Um, it's a volunteer work we're doing here. I'm working right now in Ellipurg and the university and also in the radio station. And well, it's, it's amazing. It's so different from what I live every day in Bolivia that is like. How is it different? Um, it's just everything. It's like. Um, uh, just here's everything so organized and um, I don't know the uni well the university I go is a private university in Bolivia so um, but anyways is compared to this university is like I don't know it's, it's so small and so yeah yeah it's just totally different and actually I I never thought I was gonna enjoy so much being here and the people in Canada are so sweet and it's so warm. Everybody was so nice with us. We never expect all the mm, just this welcome that they have given us. It's actually it's amazing and we're all happy about it. Mm -hmm. uh, we're living in host families and they are just amazing. Mm -hmm. I think we are all happy with our house families and yeah. Maybe really this is good. a good time to introduce James, <laughs> who is the one of the house families. Yeah. <laughs>
Yes, I'm actually sitting here. Uh, Dominique is from uh, Quebec. And he's uh, also was in the program. Uh, they went to Bolivia first, and two weeks ago, like uh, Alejandro said, they came back. So I think I'll ask Dominique to say a few words. Bonsoir, Dominique. Uh, Bonsoir. And the, well, it's a pleasure to be here in the image we have in Quebec of Lethbridge or the political movement is so different from what I'm seeing right now or from the Tony Hall, like we wouldn't expect teachers to be that progressive or to be interested in progressive issues. Or crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, just James is also really different from what I could have expected from a family southern Alberta so I'm really I'm just really happy to well first to be back in Canada to be in on the other side of the country and also to come back with a new experience in Bolivia while there's so many things happening there with Evo Morales with the autonomy which looks like it's like in Quebec and so you've been in Bolivia yeah. And how do you see Evo Morales? How do you see the changes in the government there? Mm. I'd say it's really different from what we see here. Like here, we, the media, like are really, like they don't talk about Santa Cruz or the half moon, the the east part of the country where there's big protests against Evo Morales. We just see the nationalization, everybody being happy, the indigenous people having their first representative uh, president and it's just in in the other part you see like the, the other side of the medal and I'd say well for me the nationalization of petroleum was good considering that 18% of the gas was uh, uh, of the money was staying in the country and the rest was going to Brazil or uh, United States but at the same time I don't know if it's is radicalism will be will be good on the long term because in Bolivia like they change president almost uh, like every two years three years and there's protests all the year long we we couldn't go to La Paz because there was blockades the the city of uh, uh, Santa Cruz was shut down everything didn't work for one day again like it was a protest against the government against the government. So there's so many things happening there that you don't really know where to give it. Evo Morales came to prominence representing Indians, especially coca growers. And in the U.S. war on drugs, uh, the effort is to uh, stop the growing of uh, plants that can be used for, for drugs, coca. Uh, people chew coca in uh, the indigenous peoples, the people in the mountains chew coca and it's part of a, the old style of agriculture, the old aboriginal style of, of agriculture. So uh, the protest against the spraying, the fumigation of the, of the uh, uh, fields where coca was being grown, Eva Morales came to prominence representing the indigenous people who, who were against that. Uh, maybe tin miners as well um, and uh, of course there was a, a massive movement got going in the protest against Bechtel's privatization of water uh, 
So in many parts of the uh, third world, uh, the less developed world, uh, the big corporations have been taking over the water systems. And, 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 and the commodification of water, of course, is a big subject uh, for Jonathan. Actually, Jonathan has studied this uh, uh, through books and whatnot. Uh, you want to give us a sneak preview of, uh, of your uh, latest uh, thinking on the commodification of water, Jonathan? Wow, I uh, kind of put on the spot here. I'm not sure what I can say about it. I imagine next week I'll speak uh, a lot more about it. Um, but uh, I think Regina, is it, uh, mentioned that they talked about nuclear reactors and uh, nuclear energy being a big issue in northern Saskatchewan. Am I correct in, uh, in that? That might have to do I'm not sure yeah. if I'm uh, here. Yeah, you okay. mentioned... Uh, Definitely refining, and I've I've heard it also that they're considering it up north for the tar sands project. Yeah, yeah. Actually, which is links absolutely. And so, uh, yeah. what uh, what you know is that uh, in uh, or what I what my research has has uncovered is that in fact for every oil, barrel of oil produced, it takes another barrel of oil in energy to produce that oil. Another so in, water. That's another barrel of oil, and then on top of that, the amount of water that's required to produce two barrels of water. So uh, what, what the big problem is, is that uh, it takes a lot of energy to get oil out. So what the government is doing is recognizing this, and they're proposing putting forward nuclear energy as a viable solution. I'm sure that many people here will disagree with that. Um, but in essence, um, it's costing us a lot of resources in water to uh, produce that oil up there. And uh, a lot of what the economics is saying is that water is more valuable than oil now. So uh, the government is in a really tough position and we're all in a tough position because we need to make uh, decisions about what we're going to do with, with our oil and with our water and which resources are more important. So uh, sustainability is front and center in, in the issue. So do we go with nuclear energy to uh, extract that oil, or do we continue using coal or oil or whatever to uh, to get our oil and out? Pumping so up these are tough, global tough, warming. Tough That's right, and uh, there's very big consequences. So let's uh, finish in Regina. I know when we were in that part of the room there, uh, James Moore has... Uh, been uh, giving some direct thought to uh, uh, the concept of public interest. So we keep hearing this reference to PERGS. It's a public interest research group. So what is the public interest? What would research into the public interest look like? So we could uh, go to James immediately, or we could finish off the round table in Regina, um, trying to be, I'll, uh, maybe, maybe we could go to James. I know yeah, James I'll just, a... uh, I have to leave soon anyway, uh, early tonight, but yeah, the public interest is, is a very interesting concept. I think um, just to begin, yesterday, for example, the Harper government announced that they were going to do all of these massive campaign on the, the P3 projects. They were going to start in Ontario, the public-private partnerships where the government is going to do what they call collaborate with uh, private capital in public infrastructure. So that's an example, I think, to start with the idea of public interest. What is, what is, what is in the public interest in terms of 
research when you're looking at, for example, uh, a lot of private industry in university research now where the, you know, in, who's, who's using home? Like, can you make the separation back to this idea of community again and the community interest rather than the corporate interest? And that does seem to be playing out on a, on a world scale there. So uh, I think one of the factors that is really crucial in understanding how that works is that the tendency to divide people amongst themselves has been the greatest success of, of the ruling elite and the greatest impediment. But as the people in Regina have been talking about, you know, discovering each other and discovering the power of, of a collective, of a community, of a, you know, the, the world who saw in 2003 that, you know, the, the uh, American hierarchy was ready to break international law and invade a country just to show that they could do it and, and based entirely on lies. I mean, that feeling, there was a million people in London, England, who said no to that, but they went ahead and did it anyway. Um, you know, is that in the public interest? You know, $300 billion expenses so far. I mean, it's, it's incredible how the Canadians and just spent 150,000 Iraqi lives. Exactly. 650,000. And now as I'm reading about Falcon Base, and they say 3,000 soldiers dead, and I'm reading, well, maybe there's 12,000. There's different theories, you know. Once you begin to get away with lies, how can you believe anything right now that is, is, comes forth from an official source? It's when you see those millions of people going into the streets to protest an illegal war that they, they're acting in their own interests. So the public is acting in the public's interest. And that's usually where it all, all comes out from. Same with the, uh, you know, the Alpergs and with the, the people talking in Regina. That's that point when you start doing some critical thinking and acting in your own interest, then you see who the public is. It's ourselves. And that's when you, that's when you start wondering about the other, the other types of messages. Like, just quickly, uh, nuclear power in the oil sands, this is, this is really a good idea. Can you imagine if they had a meltdown? Then, then what you do? You get radioactive oil for the same price. <laughs> and the idea with Saskatchewan and nuclear power too is it's not so much about the oil process. And uh, the, the water issues in Alberta are problematic when we consider the new statistics coming out from the Council of Canadians are stating that for every barrel we pull out of the ground, we're contaminating six to ten barrels of fresh water beyond the point of repair. That is an issue, but we sat down, we had lunch with the Saskatchewan government just recently, and their entire idea around nuclear power, I sat and I listened, and then I responded back to our minister, whose name is Eric Klein, and I, I said, so let me get this straight. What you've stated is that we are going to start extracting and refining uranium to export to other countries specifically for economic gain, and his answer was yes. And that terrifies me. It's purely an industrial model that they're still working with. Um, a, B, water is still wasted in the, in the refining process. Um, C, uh, it's not an either-or option. It's not oil or nuclear. It's not, I, I urge anybody to avoid that duality because the, the sustainable investments, options that we have in Saskatchewan are endless. Calvert says we'll be on wind and solar 
one-third by 2020, which is completely unattainable. They've been asleep at the wheel for the past 15 years. Saskatchewan emissions are the worst in the country in terms of improvement, and they don't see uranium as a viable, sustainable option. They see it and have been seeing it through an industrial lens. And they're pitching it that way now, but they have it in the past. So I would, I would urge anybody that's, that's thinking of trying to perceive the nuclear option or the uranium option as an environmentally sustainable one against that and to do some more research because burying it in the ground is not sustainable. And we have to be more critical of what's actually happening in northern Alberta. The entire policy is irresponsible. and We shouldn't be looking at ways to make an irresponsible policy sustainable. We should look at ways of making an irresponsible policy responsible to Canadians to pursue more sustainability. A 1% royalty on revenues for foreign companies coming in to invest in oil is not sustainable. And it is depleting our water resources. And that's a, a, a topic that I'm very, very passionate about. But I don't know. I think we can talk more about that maybe next week. Now let, let's, uh, let's extend this a little bit. Let's think globally. Let's talk a little bit globally. Those depleted uranium shells that are causing public health travesty, epidemic in Iraq, where did the uranium in those depleted shells come from? What they call Gulf War Syndrome from 1991. It's becoming increasingly clear that it's depleted uranium. The rationale for putting depleted uranium in these shells is it makes them very heavy so they can pierce through armor. But that depleted uranium gets spread out, it causes birth defects, uh, and uh, this, is, this is one of the things that is being covered up. The, the enormous uh, effect on public health to the veterans, to the American veterans in Iraq. Now if that's being done to the veterans who are now in the United States, what's being done to the Iraqis themselves? Was that picture I showed at the beginning of class a uh, tactical nuclear weapon being exploded? Is this being covered up from us? When that was exploding, were there depleted uranium shells that were also exploding? Is Baghdad right now a, an area of low-level radioactive contamination? Um, when we you know, think about these connections. Now, we have an enormous nuclear industry in Ontario, and we have an enormous hydroelectric industry in Quebec. So Quebec generates energy, hydroelectric power, through massive dams, then they sell it to New York. Meanwhile, next door in Ontario, they generate hydro through nuclear. So we take all the chances, we we build up this, uh, you know, there is no way to deal with radioactive waste. Radioactive waste is poisonous, extremely poisonous for like a million years. So what do you do with it for a million years? How can you guarantee that you're going to contain it for a million years? Now, wouldn't it be obvious to say in Quebec, why not sell your hydroelectricity to Ontario? Then Ontario doesn't have to go into all this nuclear, then we actually have a country, we can actually have a national energy policy, we can actually talk about how we as Canadians might use our own energy in our own sovereign country rather than have a national energy policy for the United States so our energy feeds the military industrial complex of the United States and we have way lower royalties here than in Norway and most other places, Alaska, 
Why don't we, you know, if we're going to have a debate on energy, this is the, this should be the damned center of the worldwide debate on energy. We actually have a say as Albertans. I mean, the, 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 uh, the success of the commercial media in preventing us from talking about our own interests, perceiving our own interests, the future of our own kids, the way that it's, it's put to us that it's not even legitimate to have this discussion, that this is all decided. No, these, these, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting upset just thinking about these I things. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Tony, uh, Aaron from, at the U of A here. I'll just uh, jump in and mention the Parkland conference this year. Are you going to that? Uh, am I going to be invited? <laughs> well, I don't know. Are you coming up? Um, it's uh, Power for the People, Determining Our Energy Future. So there's going to be uh, an APRG sending about 50 students there. We're paying for 50 students to go. And the, the entire thing is all about uh, oil and gas uh, in Alberta. And, um, you know, it, who's going to... So you're, you're offering to bring up 50 students from University of Lethbridge? No, we're paying for 50 U of A students. U of A students you got your own to come perk. to Edmonton. That's right. Yeah. Okay, well, we can have to, we, we have to answer sponsor to our some students to go? Absolutely. If there's students interested in going, I mean, I don't make the decisions about where LPERG funding goes. The board of direct, student board of directors does, but I'm certain that that would be something they would be interested in funding. And uh, if anyone's interested, you can talk to me after class or go to our website and fill out an application. The Parkland Conference or the Parkland Institute at the University of Alberta more or less plays the role of the official opposition in this province. We don't really have <laughs> politics in this province. We have a one-party regime, an oligarchy. It's like a company town. A small little group of cronies run this place as if it's their own personal fiefdom. And we don't really have politics in this province. It's more or less a dictatorship. Uh, but, you know, there are some thinking critical people. And you make your way to the Parkland Conference because you meet other critical thinking people. And we actually do have uh, the right to make some decisions over the future of our own, our own province. It doesn't all have to be made in the law offices in Calgary for uh, the big uh, corporations based in Houston and Dallas. I mean, what is Calgary other than a, a colonial outpost of, of, of Houston and Dallas right now? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, abs I absolutely agree with you, Tony. And uh, like we're trying to definitely try and create pockets of, uh, of citizen control here at the U of A so that um, students can take issues that, they, that are as concerned with them and, and create community here and, and work with it on that. And uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of students working on the tar sands. Um, they're mostly connected to more global groups, uh, like global change in... Uh, I mean, Jim Denning versus Ted Morton, that's our choice. Give me a break, man. <laughs> What a pathetic political culture. But that's not your choice. You don't have to choose that. You can choose someone else. I mean, I know Alberta You just try. You just see what it's like to uh, try to talk about ideas in this place sometimes. You just... <laughs> you have the National Security Police in your office so fast, man. And I'm serious. Yeah. Uh, can we... Well, I have so many questions. One... I have questions for Aaron about all the different working groups that APERG is funding that hopefully we can get to. But maybe to just uh, finish off here, we have Alex who's been waiting patiently. He can maybe say what uh, what the different issues are, the motivation, motivating factors that brought him here tonight and into student issues. 
And then uh, I also have many other comments if we have time I'd like to get into, but I also want to hear what everyone else has to say. So I'm just going to go to Alex and then we can go as the uh, interactive exchange takes us. Thanks. Um, I guess for the most part what brings me here is that uh, I'm in education. I'm part of a middle years program that's starting to include social justice as a as a main feature that we'd like to run within all parts of the curriculum, math, science, uh, language arts, social studies, sort of. So for middle years, so grades five, six, seven, eight. Um, and yeah, so I guess what brings me here is just an interest and in the topics here and also just make some connections so that when I am out teaching, I have resources and people that I, that I can always go to and, and uh, get help with and, and know what's going on. If I could just make a comment on what he just said, how important I think it is that um, that there's this talk happening and that these ideas are being implemented into curriculum because it means that um, children are going to start to learn about these issues at a much younger age and they're going to be more active and more socially and politically aware growing up and I think that that's awesome. We have, you know, great people sitting around this table who are going to be, you know, one man who is teaching, two who will be, and a whole bunch more people. Yeah, you know? so student activism won't start. For, like now. it did for us in our third or fourth year, but instead it'll start when you're 15. Or in grade three and four. Or grade three. Yeah, yeah. that's what's going to change things for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, guys, have you heard too much from. Uh, can I just make a quick comment about what was just said? I, I have to say that I'm really thrilled to see these kinds of ideas coming into, uh, into education departments and universities, and I'm thrilled to see that there are education students who are really engaged in social issues and really interested in them, and professors as well. Certainly that wasn't my experience when I was uh, studying education in the 80s in Saskatoon. Um, we, we had a lot, of, uh, a lot of arguments I had with my classmates about the importance of gender-inclusive language and the importance of trying to uh, be multicultural and in inclusive with cultures. And uh, a lot of my classmates did not agree with me, and it really scared me for the future of our children. And uh, it's really refreshing to see that this you know, social justice and environmental issues and world issues are now really important to teachers and in their training. Can I just say one more? Just say it. Sorry, I just need to want to say one more quick thing, and it's kind of a downer. I don't, I don't mean to be negative, but I also find that in the activist community, we we get into this bubble where this is all we see. But I don't know, and I'm I'm kind of struggling with this now too. If our generation is more active, is going to be more active as like we're the children of the hippies that we're finally growing up and and we're gonna do this, or if we're really going to be less active, that we've grown up in a neoliberal era and this is this is all we know and we've never been faced with big conflicts, we've never had to sacrifice anything in our lives and if we're just going to be complacent when we get into positions of power. So I don't, I don't know if what that will do for our country and for our world and I don't know which one of those answers will happen. So if anyone has thoughts on but that, I'd like to. I think to Sheila broaches uh, the community and the university which is one big thing to bridge and I also think if you're not going to get involved now you're never going to get involved although there's I still hold out hope for everyone that they somehow find insight and gain their own personal epiphany to see that local problems and global issues and struggles are all one and the same and that people need to fight uh, for these issues of justice but I don't know Sheila what how do you see the these issues well actually what I was thinking um, when uh, 
Um, I think, was it Hillary that was just talking about uh, um, whether or not the next generation is going to be more or less active? Something I've been thinking about a lot is, uh, is the activism that took place, I guess, especially in the U.S. around the Vietnam War. And, and why didn't that happen in these last few years with the Iraq War? What has changed that people were so active then? And now, yeah, there's some activism, but not anywhere near on the scale that there was. And, and I'm wondering why that is and if anyone has any thoughts on it. I actually have a, an idea about it, but I'd like to hear about what other people I think. think. I think that a lot of people are really overwhelmed because the situations that we're faced with right now are overwhelming. Like we could sit here and we could be very doom and gloom and we could be very realistic in doing that. But I think what people need to keep in mind in this movement is that it is overwhelming and you don't have to know everything about everything, but grab one thing that interests you, that you're passionate about, that you want to be a part of changing. But the most important part about that is you have to educate each other, talk about it with other people and cooperate with the people who think like you. If we're working against each other, we're never going to get anywhere. It's about organizing, organizing and cooperating with the generation to make these sorts of things happen. I when don't you... think that the war, I don't think if I could speak to just your question because I'm kicking myself every day about my inactions around when they decided to invade Iraq or whatever and how and how I think a lot of people do feel paralyzed by the notion that, that war can be ended or that, that war can be prevented, stopped. Like that, that notion is growing more and more not to be pessimistic but i think it's it was the idea that you make your own world a reality i think perhaps maybe i'm romanticizing the past a bit but was a bit more present in the 60s and i was a bit more in your face like the idea that the vietnam war could be prevented whereas right now i think maybe and i didn't live then but i think that the american government and ideas like the military industrial complex once you start doing research are so overwhelming and so huge that the idea of you know having a, having civil disobedience over the over the war in Iraq is impossible. But, I think that that's something that needs to change. But I think that might be a part of it. What do Sheila Leftbridge or other people think? Well, I'll I'll weigh in on that. Like the Vietnam War started what like 1963, and if you look at the stats of people who were for and against the war when it started, it was like 80 percent, 85 percent for the war. And it was inconceivable when the Vietnam War started for people to go against their government with civil disobedience. And of course that changed, but that war lasted for like 15 years. And it wasn't until the um, late 60s that you really saw the type of organization that we're seeing today. And that organization existed before this war even started, right? So you had February 15th that we'd mentioned, 2003, the first global like march against anything. And I don't think that move, I mean, the movement might have slipped a bit when that war started uh, because, I mean, people put so much effort into trying to stop it and they just ignored it and went ahead with it anyway. But I think it's starting to pick up again. Um, it's just, uh, but there's also, there's a lot of other issues that people are, are concerned about, you know. I mean, you have the left working on, on environmentalism and, and labor and war, and there's not enough, I mean, there's not enough people looking at this, at these, as, these issues as interconnected and part of, like, broader systematic problems. And I think you saw that maybe more later on in the 60s as that movement became more sophisticated. I, I really want to speak on this. I've written a bit about it in the, uh, I'm calling it, Is the War on Terror a War on Truth? So this word truth, you know, I, I, just 
we've been finessing it over the course of the over these last few weeks. Um, but during the Vietnam War, and I, I think yes, things have changed dramatically, and I don't think it's I don't think we have cause to beat ourselves up totally here. In the, in the time of the Vietnam War, the big media companies allowed their journalists to go onto the ground and in our, tele, in our televisions at home, night after night, we actually got to know the Vietnamese people uh, and uh, got to see uh, close up the horrible things being done as they were being sprayed with napalm, as little children were being uh, in, uh, burned up and, and uh, we saw that and uh, the journalists on the ground representing CBS or New York Times or CBC, you know, they, they, they identified with the humanity, with the invaded humanity of, of, of the people who were victims. And uh, there was a determination made because the effect was that the, the war lost public support. And uh, I think there was a determin determination made that this will never be allowed to happen again. So you, we don't really get to know the Iraqi people and the suffering they're going through. In fact, in the 1991 invasion, uh, the first Gulf War, or in the bombing of Yugoslavia in 1999 by NATO, we started to see these smart bombs. We started to get the point of view of the, of the guy in the jet, and we just see these smart bombs going and just doing surgery, taking out infrastructure and if a few hundred or thousand people got killed they became collateral damage and these words collateral damage collateral damage sounds a lot less upsetting than people got their guts ripped out and murdered you know by being put in an inferno I mean collateral damage so, so there is such a you know we're so much further into the mind control into the outright disinformation and smear, the outright censorship. I mean, uh, yeah, I just there it is on the on the on the website. This blast goes off in. That's a piece of video. That that's an important piece of video. You know, we're we're not seeing it, and yet we have this internet, and we can actually figure out what's going on in our world and try our best to tell it on the internet. So there is this enormous. Uh, divide now between almost different, you know, different worlds, different, totally different uh, depictions of reality. And so this uh, big lie, I don't think it's sustainable that much longer. But as we become aware of what, what is being done in our name. Now, another element of this, there was a movement building in the, in the opposition to the Vietnam War. There was a movement building. Certainly, Robert Kennedy was a was an embodiment of that movement. Certainly Martin Luther King was a huge embodiment of this movement to end the racial segregation of the United States. And Martin Luther King came out against the war in Vietnam and, and these issues were merging and the leadership got murdered. The leadership were killed and assassinated in, in ways that have never been properly explained. Our, are, you know, prevent, are, we're prevented from, from knowing it, although we can, we can find out a lot about it if we're, if we're very courageous. So the group who is in charge now, 
the oligarchy that is running, you know, the oil sands, the tar sands projects in Alberta, the White House, the anti-Kyoto propaganda that was fed to us, you know, the military-industrial complex, big oil. I mean, that group is in power. How did they get in power? What were the roots of this? Was it, a, was it just a debate, a polite debate among uh, well-intentioned people who believe in democracy and let, let the best ideas prevail? Or, or, or was there a lot more sinister, ruthless, underhanded, you know, violation of the integrity of our, our society going on to produce the situation that we're now in? Uh, Tony, Aaron and, Aaron and Edmonton here. Um, I'm just going to jump in. We, uh, Sam and I have to leave fairly quickly, um, but I just had, I think both of us had a couple other things we wanted to uh, bring to the discussion. Um, for myself, uh, Mark had asked about um, APERG working groups, and when you, uh, Tony, were talking about um, people not seeing the images or not being able to empathize with people in Iraq. I mean, when you have the troops embedded and no one's actually doing any real reporting on the ground, or at least not in the mainstream media, um, I think that's one of the reasons why solidarity groups are so important, especially on campuses. Um, so we, we support uh, three solidarity groups here. A Colombian Solidarity Group, uh, La Chiva, a Haiti Solidarity Group, and a Mexican Solidarity Group. And uh, with the Haiti Solidarity Group, um, they've just put on a whole bunch of films um, with real reporters on the ground. And by real reporters, I mean those who aren't embedded, those who are with the people and talking to people and actually showing what happens. And at these screenings where you see UN troops on the ground in Haiti shooting people, that are unarmed, um, it just it flies in the face of what people have been taught. And they, and they start to understand that, yeah, Canada is involved in imperialism around the world. And so you really need, it's Im imperative to have local groups on the ground who can go around what the mainstream media and what uh, the oligarchy is saying and be able to bring the people face to face and say, hey, this is what's happening and uh, you, gotta, you gotta pay attention. Before you leave, Aaron, thank you so much for uh, taking part. And I want to uh, send a word to Samantha. I, I think president of the student union of the University of Alberta is a big, important job in this province. That is a very important position. And it's a great honor, Samantha, that you uh, came into uh, the, the class and into our network in this way. And, and, and thank you so much. And, and I uh, really look forward to meeting you, and uh, I'm, I'm heartened by um, the enthusiasm and the integrity that you're bringing to your work. I don't know if you want to say a few final words. Well, I, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much, and I really appreciate the invitation. Again, I love the opportunity to talk to people and um, about some of the issues that we're working on. Um, if people ever have any questions or anything, want to talk about some of the issues the Students' Union is dealing with or, you know, Alberta politics in general, I'm more than willing. And um, we have a website at uh, su.ualberta.ca, which um, you can contact me at. So. so when is the Parkland Conference? It's the November 17th to 19th, so not this weekend, but the next. So... Uh... Okay, well, I, I'm going to take, Aaron, uh, your, your words as an invitation of sorts, and uh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to uh, put out a, a proposal that we, we do some kind of uh, trip to the Parkland Conference in Edmonton, and uh, 
maybe get a van or get a couple of cars. I've got a car I could take uh, three people. Um, and it's, it's fun to do that. And it's, it would be a great educational experience. And it's not just, you know, the conference, the official presentations are very important, but it's also the people you meet, you know, going out for a beer afterwards. Uh, you'll get a picture of Alberta, uh, I would suggest most of you, that you might not have seen um, at, that, at that event. So it might be two people, it might be five people. Uh, might be 10 people, but I'm, I'm committing right here and now that uh, I'll, be, uh, I'll be with you if uh, I'm going to go and, uh, and I'll be... Uh... Would you guys welcome Saskatchewan students to the oh, conference? Absolutely, especially if, you're if your government's putting, uh, considering putting nuclear power plants. We need to talk about uh, uh, power and, and people for sure. And I'm thinking our three institutions, the U of A, U of Regina, and Lethbridge, we've got a lot in common, and maybe we could picture ourselves as a kind of triumvirate and, yeah. and, uh, and network in, in a The axis fun. grows, Tony. Yeah. The <laughs> axis of enlightenment grows. Samantha, I'll be in touch within the next couple of days for sure. That'd be great. Cool. Samantha, good luck with student politics in Alberta. <laughs> student activism in Alberta. Yeah. <laughs> Edmonton is a lot different than the rest of Alberta. <laughs> I'll just mention APERG's website, too, is apergs.org and uh, you can check out all the working groups on there and get in touch Thank with you. We'll be looking uh, NDP parliamentarians maybe. in Edmonton. <laughs> yeah, and we can definitely provide some guidance for Regina on creating a, a perg out there because it, it's so integral to have a space on campus where students can go and, and connect with each other. I mean, I just want to clear great for that too, but um, it's nice to have something that's grassroots as well that can work in tandem. I just want to clarify for the record that they aren't going to put a nuclear power plant in northern Saskatchewan. The issue of contention is a refinery. Oh, so okay. Just, oh, just, oh, for for shipment, right? To, for manufacturing. Yeah, to Japan. Yeah, for shipment. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But it's a hard debate in Alberta. When you think of the mess that all of that energy, to get that energy out, you've got to yeah. spew out all that uh, pollution to get... Uh, the material that creates the most serious pollution, one of the most serious pollutants <laughs> on the planet. Uh, so, you know, the trade-off between two really ugly options, you know, nuclear power versus just continuing, uh, you know, through coal or whatever, uh, I'm, I'm not totally clear in my mind that, you know, that nuclear power with all its problems might not be a less awful approach. I, I'm beginning to debate that one. And you know, and the tar sands is going to go forward. There's no, you, there's no pulling that back. That that is, that I I can't see dealing with it on that level. It's got to be how to do this most intelligently. How to do this? Uh, I mean, this is bigger than Saudi Arabia right now. I mean, Saudi Arabia has. Uh, I don't think people understand the scope of this. Like this is just not a boom or bust cycle. This is. This is the beginning of something whose scope and magnitude, you know, we've never seen anything like this in Canada. Yeah, it's and, disgusting. Uh, you know, we, we really should be, we're, we're at ground zero here on this issue. And if we can't focus ourselves and say, now, how are we going to do this intelligently? Uh, you know, it, I mean, we, we, we have so much leverage, political leverage, financial leverage, to be a citizen of Alberta, to be an articulate, 
educated citizen of Alberta right now. And there, there's a, a lot of responsibility that goes along with that. People all over the world are watching this jurisdiction to say, what are they going to do? What are they going to do with this? I think right. uh, to, to talk about student issues for a second, um, Dummy Nick, were you we in? We've got a bus to catch, so we're just going to sign oh. up before you, you go on there. All right. Okay. Uh, so, sorry, we got to leave. Um, I'd, I'd looked up earlier, and I thought the class ended at 7.30. We will probably end a little early. Uh, but uh, I, I think there's probably a few comments in the, in the room here, but I'm not going to belabor this. I, 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 well, um, any students in the room there can also continue the discussion with Samurai by going to our website and emailing us questions. Definitely. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Thanks, guys. Yeah, we're signing out. Okay. Uh, you'll get my letter to uh, Indiris Samara Sakaro. I, I did point out that it's sort of bad that we couldn't get a VC connection with the capital. You know, it's sort of obvious. It's not rocket science. Yeah, great. We'll see. See you later, and we'll see you in Edmonton on the on the at the Parkland conference. Sounds good. Bye. 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 I was curious to know if Dominic was in Quebec when the students ran the most successful student initiative in the history of North America, and what his thoughts were, what it was like to be a student in Quebec. Yeah, what are you talking about, Mark? Explain the... What uh, am I talking about? Well, just give us well, the background, they, they like, you know about it, but, you know... They brought us... the Charest government to its knees. They got... Uh, strike that brought together engineers and students from every faculty. They shut down pretty much every university in Quebec. They had high school students participating. They had the level of participation that we haven't seen since, uh, not even the Vietnam War. What am I talking about? Was Dominic there? Okay. Thanks, I can't Mark. hear him. <laughs> Is that okay? Here we go. Okay. Uh, there's one thing, yeah, of course, like there, there's been a high school in Montreal which just went on strike like this and went to an, a CGEP and a university and they brought all the students on strike, almost, and economics students from many universities and which are really rare. It's re very yeah. rare that they go on strike. But in the end, there was the minister, uh, Fournier. What he did is, like he just showed some money that we would already have and he said this is the money that will go in the loans and bursary program and every like most students were oh okay that's gonna be that's the money that's okay but th this money we already had it and they still took out the 300 millions the of uh, of the loans and bursaries so yeah of course the student movement was present and almost only my CJEP didn't do anything. <laughs> Still, it didn't. It didn't change, like the government. But did you feel you had a sense of agency that you could uh, have a say that the government would at least sit down and speak with you, and and the different act moments of action like shutting down access to liquor. Yeah, yeah. And the t <laughs> it was, uh, that was like a, uh, I was in Saint Foy and we started the the a march from. Uh, Sent Foy to the parliament, and there was like so much adrenaline. Students were 
like talking about this even out of school in my jobs I was talking like we were having debates and you had a huge atmosphere and you could feel it in the air but in the end it didn't change Jean Charest did uh, is fascist and he just passed the law <laughs> well, that's, that's... just throw out that the other minister wasn't really uh, good at dealing with this you put the better one for and he, he passed all this stuff then at the same time this the same guy uh, uh, Fournier there was the fusion of uh, Quebec City and everybody w was mad and the government said that they would uh, do a referendum on diffusions and he got, he got the same guy to do the diffusions but everybody was so mixed up about the percentage it had to be like something 8% of the 40% that had to go to vote and like it was so mixed up people voted for them and finally it didn't change anything like the the city stayed as all Quebec City they elected this government and so like they pretty much true everyone Fournier is a huge grower in Quebec right now <laughs> go back in when uh, the group here, the Action Club, went to the Free Trade Area of the Americas yeah. Summit in Quebec City, and this was a historic event, a very major event. Uh, so um, I went along with uh, the Action Club, the Environmental Action Club. Uh, there was about uh, seven of us. And in Quebec City, there were 25,000 billets. In other words, they were so organized, the activist community in Quebec City, to receive uh, we were put activists, up in schools even. activists from all over the country. And you know, it's very moving to come from Alberta, uh, which has a reputation, you know, is not seen as the most progressive place. And Quebec is very uh, progressive. Uh, that might be a, a loaded term. Um, but in any case, we were, uh, you know, coming from uh, Alberta, we were being hosted by uh, folks in Quebec who definitely would, would like to see an independent national government of Quebec, a sovereign Quebec. Like if the, the, the left wing of, of Quebec politics is quite sovereigntist. And ironically, however, you had a party Quebecois government, which is theoretically uh, dedicated to the independence of Quebec. But under this conditions, the young activists of Quebec were going against their government and in a, in a way embracing us from the rest of Canada. And we were in solidarity together on, on these global issues, on these larger issues. And to me, it was quite a, a, a beautiful um, demonstration of, yeah. of Canadian, um, some kind of links, uh, solidarity that transcend um, some of these uh, issues that are so famous in our in our in our national life, whether it's the nation of Quebec or the nation of Canada. The, uh, this this protest was amazing because there was the while there was the activists who like were there with like the weapons and bricks and throwing all this stuff at the police. At the same time, you had the pacifists and like some of the pacifists were like agreed with the most radical ones but they, ju they, they just didn't think it was the same the good way or yeah it was I was really young but still 
like in my high school teachers were talking about this and I was I was in third uh, second year of high school and like teachers were talking about this they were recruiting people unfortunately I, w I didn't care that much about politics in this time and but yeah no and Quebec and the uh, the Parti Québécois uh, you you brought up it's interesting now there's a new party it's called uh, Quebec Solidaire and they dissociate themselves from the Parti Québécois they're still uh, uh, sovereignists but they don't they don't want to be associated with the like the kind of uh, limo left of Parti Québécois the limo left some, I haven't heard that some of some of these people just want sovereignty because well yeah, either they say they want sovereignty because they want to be elected because there's like many movements of like one deputy moving from the Parti Québécois to the Liberal Party and or even uh, the like from the to the Conservative Party and uh, the other parties the, their motto is a uh, we prefer to be a leftist province than to be a rightist country but if we can be a, a leftist country will make the steps to go towards that. Maybe uh, Ling Ling, would you cut me some slack here? I, it's, I know it's awkward to be called upon uh, a subject that's sort of imposed upon you, but we did have a discussion which I'm going to uh, share and, and with the greatest of respect and I hope you don't feel I'm uh, uh, violating any um, uh, confidences, but you, you did mention to me you were five years old when the students had their protest in Tiananmen Square. And so... Now five years old, I was in grade five. Oh, in grade five, okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, so this was a major uh, moment in, in Chinese history. Students assemble in Tiananmen Square and then eventually uh, there was a, you know, with the government negotiate with, with them and eventually the government just killed them, just pushed them away, incarcerated them um, and uh, it's probably one of the most uh, contentious issues in China, which side of the issue, um, you know, it kind of split, well you said suddenly you found your family arguing on both sides, you know, were the students right, was the government right, um, I, I don't know, I, I don't know how awkward it might be to to, for you to speak on this, but it's pretty much out there in the public domain. Uh, you know, here is a moment of student where students are at the center of, of, of something. Can you can you help us to picture that that debate as it's unfolding in China? Um, okay, uh, I was like in elementary school, but uh, at that time, like uh, my grandma. She felt really sympathetic with the students, and then she thought, like, uh, either they did something right or they did something wrong. They shouldn't facing starvation. You know, they were sitting in the on the Tiananmen Square and uh, without eating anything for a few days. It's kind of like, a really, really like phenomenal. You can think about it, a week with no food, no water. And then so what she did, she brought a lot of like Chinese bread to the Tiananmen Square almost every night. <laughs> and then so she said, whether they eat or not, but it's uh, my responsibility. And she, she felt she, these students are kids, 
you know, right? So they are the future. So they shouldn't suffer this. So um, on the other side of my family, so excuse, I just hide the name of my family members. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but they feel like it's a political issue. And then at that time they told me it may go bigger, this, this issue will be more serious than a simple protest. So I was so young to understand those issues at that, at that time, but I remember I saw a lot of um, cars, like buses were burned, like in the middle of the, the event. And then a lot of people were really cute, but what I saw on TV, um, like they say, a lot of military soldiers were killed by people, by whoever, right? And then the, all of the pictures, and right now I, I still can remember, like they hung on the, on the, uh, the bodies on the bridge, and then from the news, I know we thought, oh, they are more soldiers were killed. So, mm. so citizens were killing soldiers? Not, yeah, like not really citizens killed soldiers, just uh, somehow by some reason they were killed. Mm. Mm. Can't say. <laughs> Sorry, we can talk about it, like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's good. That's Sorry about that. Yeah. So. I have a question then. What's missing in Canada or what's different in Canada that, that events like, like Tiananmen Square can happen in China and Bolivia? Is it just because we're, we're complacent and we're, an example, we're happy? It, yeah, an example being the fact that we went from a war or, or from rebuilding Afghanistan to being a part of the war on terror and Canadians didn't even bat an eyelash. But we were there at Quebec City. There were tens of thousands of post-secondary yes. students. Mm -hmm. It was most poor secondary students, and they went to the fence. Like the trade unionists who were backed up by their unions, who did have legal defense teams, they negotiated. They didn't go to the fence. And of course, the fence was a symbol, you know, the, the, the fence was a symbol of the exclusion. That uh, if we're going to negotiate something for all of the Western Hemisphere, why can only businessmen and elected politicians meet behind the fence what what is you know so so going to the fence and and showing resistance to the fence was a kind of symbolism saying you know we want we want to democratize this process but you know there there is something i'd like to see a plaque there where the fence came down i'd like to see some acknowledgement of the tens of thousands of students who out of their you know paid out of their own pockets and and uh uh, took a stand and you know it, it got a lot of coverage in Latin America. Uh, people in Latin America were really uh, I think appreciative that there were people in North America willing to to uh, uh, draw attention to these issues. So it wasn't covered that much in North America but it was covered a lot in Latin America. Um, and it was amazing to see the indie media like after going to CBC, then I went in this building which was just web nerds. It was, and, and, and the whole philosophy is we know the commercial media aren't going to tell the story. We know they're going to just portray this protest as a bunch of uh, 
radical, mindless, violent uh, goofballs who are just, you know, parting it up and getting drunk and anarchists and feminists and lesbians and, you know, anything to, to discredit uh, the group and, and make you and dehumanize them. I mean, here it is. Here's the way it was described on the cover of the Globe and Mail. Uh, there's Naomi Klein. She was involved. So this is, I, after I got out of prison, Orsonville Penitentiary, uh, and, and then I started to read how it was depicted. I was there at the fence, and I took part in pulling down the fence. And I'm very proud of it. Uh, and here's how it's described, that action which I took part in. And uh, I saw April Matisse, who also went to Orsonville Penitentiary, uh, from Medicine Hat. Uh, so police said that four people were arrested, including a person connected to an anarchist group, believed to be the Black Bloc, and two of the leaders of yesterday's demonstrations. Three arrests were made at the barrier, Inspector Robert Poetti of the Sûreté de Québec said. Most of those breaking through the wall appeared to be members of the Black Bloc, the Bloc Noir. Eh? I mean, this sounds like the Black Bloc, you know. Uh, <clears throat> they were members of the Black Bloc. So the truth was that if four people were arrested at the fence, one was me, Another one was April Matisse. So half the people were from the very subversive organization known as the University of Lethbridge. <laughs> if you had read about this event and said four people were arrested at the fence, one was Professor Hall, the other was April Matisse uh, from the University of Lethbridge, I think there might have been a different impression about what the whole thing was. But you read on the front, oh, this is anarchists, the black bloc. I mean, it's, it's total fabrication. It's complete lies. I was there. I was one of those individuals. The media, when it comes to these things, will simply bareface lie. And if they'll do that on this level, what are they doing in Iraq? What don't we know? Like, weapons of mass destruction, it was all, you know, it was okay. Well, we lied about that, okay. But, well, if you would lie about that, what else would you lie about? Where's the plane going into the Pentagon? Look at I mean, there it is. What, what is truth? Where's the plane? Where's the 757? Just, you know, we've, we've been through that little piece of tape. If that one little piece of it is, is, is a lie, then, you know, what, what can you believe? What can you believe from official sources right now? They say 3,000 have been killed. Do we know that? Do we know that it's not 20,000, 25,000? I mean, when we say what happened in Vietnam, one of the big things was that there were 50,000 body bags. Now we're told there are 3,000 body bags. What if there's actually 1,000 Canadians who are killed? I mean, why should we believe anything that comes from official voices, given their record? Uh, you know, when I, when I saw this, there was uh, this fellow. I got to know him well. You know, we all got to know each other coming out of, the, out of, the, out of Orsonville Penitentiary. They cleared out the federal penitentiary in Quebec City took out the prisoners and prepared it for us. 600 places in, in the federal penitentiary. I was not charged with anything. Uh, but uh, uh, then when we got a camp and we started to 
receive the people coming out of prison. And, you know, they, they try to tear you down inside. They try to make you feel like you're screwed up, like you did something really bad. And, you, and as, as folks are coming out of prison, they're your age. They're, I mean, these are our best people. These are the people who give a shit, who care, who actually, you know, are, are, are making a commitment to, to, to some kind of future for the country. And, and uh, so we try to say, well, you know, good for you. You, you took a stand. You've been to prison. You're a political prisoner. There's like a lot of people in, in history, you know, Nelson Mandela, Gandhi. I mean, it, it's kind of an honorable thing to, to stand up for your beliefs. And you, you don't have to go to that extent. But, and then they, they, they got buses to take them away so they couldn't, you know, come into the camp and have a moment of uh, composure. Um, you'd meet the parents coming down, you know, to, to get their kids out of, uh, out, out of prison. So, you know, we, we have made stands, but it's, it's, it's the, the, the manipulation of our, of our psychological environment that, that we don't get to honor and, and, and even be aware. Do you know about the Action Club here at the, University of Al uh, at the University of Lethbridge in 1990? Like when I see that little knoll, then why isn't there a, a plaque there? Something to, you know, give us some history. <laughs> like, you have an institution, you, it has some history, things have happened here, people have taken stands here. Even to, to get this institution in West Lethbridge, it was going to be at LCC. I mean, people protested, they marched in the streets uh, because they didn't want it incorporated in, in, in LCC, and there's a lot of history behind that. You, you look like you're about to say something there. Yeah, so. yeah, I think this makes a really good segue into something I've wanted to talk about all evening, actually, and it's, it's about the idea that students are not complacent. And I'd like to, to um, talk about something that happened here at the University of Lethbridge recently, and, and maybe some students here would like to comment on it, too, and something that really proves that students here at the University of Lethbridge are not complacent, and that is the UPASS issue, which I'm sure you all heard about. And uh, I'll just uh, <clears throat> maybe briefly talk about what it is uh, so that people maybe who are in Regina m might not understand what it is, but uh, um, the U-Pass is a universal bus pass. Um, <clears throat> I'll just read the referendum question. Maybe that's the quickest way to describe it. The referendum question was, do you agree to the increase of student fees by $52.50, that's $52.50 per semester, in order to obtain a citywide bus pass for all undergraduate students registered in one or more courses at the Lethbridge campus? Now this referendum came about uh, from a group of students who worked for a couple of years on this. Uh, it went to referendum, um, but before it went to referendum, there was there was a um, a lot of discussion on campus. The there was a the alternative transportation committee that that formed this campaign and and. Uh, and uh, they started getting the word out to people, and people started looking at this. And it was amazing, I thought, at the discussions that went on about this. I think students who probably had never been involved in any kind of politics on campus or any kind of social issues got involved in this. And I heard a lot of conversations about uh, public interest versus private interest or individual interest. And I think it was just fantastic, the conversations that went on about this. And then the referendum day came. And the UPASS was defeated, and, uh, which, which was kind of sad for the committee that organized it. But uh, the amazing thing that came out of this is that 62.5% of students at the University of Lethbridge voted in this referendum. And that's, that's completely impressive. unprecedented here and I think on any university campus. 
Um, I went to uh, Dustin Fuller, our student union president, who was hoping to be here tonight, but he couldn't. And I went and asked him, you know, what were the percentage of voters before this? I, I was interested to know, you know, was it, you know, 50% in other referendums and elections, or what, what were the percentages? <clears throat> and he told me that prior to 2004, 10% of students voted in elections. Um, in 2004, 2005, it was around 20%. And then at the uh, spring election, just last spring, 2006, 32% of students voted in that election. So this referendum saw voter interest doubling. So I think that's quite an interesting thing that happened here. And, and I'm sure all of you um, were aware of the UPASS campaign. And I'm sure a lot of you have, have opinions on it. But I just wonder if anyone would like to comment on, on just the fact that so many people voted for whatever reason. <laughs> I wanted to talk about that all night as, as well, actually, but I had a, a different take on it because I sat in a first-year poli-sci class, and it, it blew my mind the uh, the way the class was leaning. I mean, the the type of people I think a political science class should attract are traditionally this these sort of progressive, I don't know, like left-leaning, or they usually have you know different ideas. But everybody, I mean, like 80 to 90 percent of my political science class in Southern Alberta. Uh, wanted to defeat that UPASS vote, and I couldn't believe it. Nobody said one thing about the environment or some of the benefits that that would bring our society. So that you say, you know, the the public interest versus private interest, and that vote private interest, you know, won by a, a huge margin. And so, from what Dominic said before, he was surprised about the political culture in Southern Alberta. But I disagree. I, I find this university, this campus, be very conservative. Um, and so yeah, that's that's right. That's what I got out of the U pass. I mean, it was great. We had a, a great voter turnout, but mm -hmm. people were more concerned about uh, individual values and individual rights than uh, the collective good, which is what we've been talking about before. Uh, and so that's where was it, is it the job of the student union to promote some of these activist ideals like public public good, or is that the job of smaller interest groups like uh, L? Alperg, other groups like that. Maybe Regina would want to talk about that. If it's the job of the student union to do, to promote those things or just to um, represent the student body. Yeah, I think I think it is the job of the students union to promote stuff like that. I think that um, ideas can come from the grassroots sort of organizations within the students union, and that Ursu has a lot of weight in terms of funding and those sorts of things to push it. But I have to be completely honest with you guys. We have an executive right now that is completely um, focused on environmental sustainability, and there's a whole movement on our campus. But if we introduce the idea of a U-Pass on our campus, we'd see the same thing. There would be a massive outcry against it, and it's because the transit system in the city doesn't cater to students. It doesn't help students. It's not sustainable for a student to that it takes five minutes to drive to campus to have to take a two-hour bus ride within a day. That's that's not sustainable. So we would. It wouldn't be that the environmental issues weren't there. It would be that if, if we were going to support something like that, it would have to be a joint venture between the city and the students to make the transit system more sustainable for students to use. If I can comment on that too, your question was if, if the students' union should uh, like push their ideas, or this is what I understood your question, should the Students' Union push these progressive causes or should they just represent the student body? And I think it's honestly a total cop-out to say that you're just going to represent the student body. Like last year we faced that a lot in the Students' Union. What do we do? Do we do we pick a side on, on issues or do we just let the students decide? And it's, it's just a cop-out to let the students decide. You're you're elected into those positions to make decisions. And as, as all student, like young 
people who are who are smart and active, it is our job to make decisions, and you can't just leave it up to somebody else that to decide. And um, the other thing I was going to bring up is, although we don't have this UPass issue right now, we have had lots of controversial issues on campus, like that, that students have responded to. Definitely, I think it's it, it is encouraging. Last year, there was threats to our faculty college or to our federated colleges, which was with class cutbacks and, and shortages, which, I, I mean, it is pretty much just an attack on the arts, was what I interpreted as after. And students responded. Students responded immediately. And they let their pressure known. And they're still letting their pressure known. There's lots of things that, that students did respond to. And I think the Students' Union has done a pretty good job and is still doing an excellent job of, of encouraging that. Leftridge? I would, I would like to comment on that again. What uh, I think we need to separate the difference between politics and activism uh, and your union and lobbying. I mean, where do you, where do you see that line? Activism, I, I see as um, sort of a minority view in trying to push that, not push that, but influence the majority with your view. I don't think the, your students' union is the place for that. So maybe the union is a place for politics, but for activism, I don't know. Maybe I... I I don't have, you know, cemented beliefs on that. Maybe I'd like to hear what you had to say about it. Because you did touch on at the beginning the difference between politics and uh, your union and if it was the same. And you said it wasn't I, the same. I think Samantha said that um, she doesn't like to associate herself as a student politician because she is a student activist. And um, I agree that we do have a role to play within uh, the university community in administration. We're really lucky to have seats on things like the Board of Governors. And we um, were able to sit on all these sort of decision-making bodies and those sorts of things. But I don't believe that we've lost our activist um, sentiment at all. If anything, we're empowering these groups that we started as activists in that have got us into these positions. And we're giving them the tools to be more effective in pursuing their cause. And we're able to bring those causes to people who can make decisions. So while we sort of have to play the political game, it is activism, and I think that it's just it's activism maturing, and it's active, activism um, that n needs to happen in the bureaucracy of the institution to make these progressive changes happen. When when you ran for pres president, uh, what were what what platform? What were you said? Well, vote sure. for me, and I will do such and such, yeah, and I will yeah. represent our, you. our issues. Um, and then I was just I was just learning about sustainability. I'm more educated on um, the topic now. And uh, if I were to run again, my entire platform would have just been based on sustainability because everything sort of fell under the sustainability umbrella. It was um, sustain sustainability in terms of environmental sustainability. There's lots of really great things that, are, that have happened in our student union in the past, and we're moving in a really great direction, and it's, it's one of our focuses to become one of the leading student unions as far as environmental sustainability goes. But we also ran on enhancing campus community through um, the whole idea that these smaller groups that exist on campus, by empowering them and strengthening them and organizing them together, we can create a stronger community from the ground up rather than one sort of overarching organization being URSU deciding what's best for all students. We want to bring them all to the table. And um, the other was just social justice issues, tuition, those, those sorts of things. And um, it's really remarkable because, you know, the people who ran on that, those sorts of platforms, they, we, it was a landslide victory, really. And the changes that are happening on this campus are reflective of the executive prior and the executive before that, the executives that have been focused and being able to move. The successes that we've had are because the whole idea of students on this campus um, sort of 
accepting the idea of sustainability and we just that, that's the thing that I'm so encouraged about about this campus is that every year we're able to just push it so much more further and students are, are getting behind it <clears throat> it's creating this really really great energy on campus we've been at this for uh, almost two and a half hours and I, it's quite a testament to all of our endurance that you know we, we do this and somehow when it's going well and we got the, the technology going to take a break somehow just can't bring myself to to walk away from this technology when it's when it's all working uh, so uh, my, my sense is little by little uh, people are running out of energy and uh, you know we're, we, we probably are, are nearing a close I, I know Calvin just looked like you were on the edge of saying something there and just quickly uh, just in regards to we we're talking about the U pass and uh, just how upside down Lethbridge might be at the university uh, I'm in management and the majority of management students and like our management student society, our faculty, like everybody supported it like, like a lot, like almost unanimously. Like I was getting emails every day from uh, just people like in management and all over, like vote yes for this. So it's kind of interesting how we can have one side like political science or something else, and then management where we're all supposed to be like hardcore right wingers, you know. And you do know, as industry and all that, but <laughs> you know the, the, this U Pass debate that we're in the midst of now. Uh, Dustin Fuller really is the one individual who brought this forward, and it does get us talking about you know, public transport and the idea that individual cars, us all, you know, taking advantage of the convenience of individual cars, precludes the development of more efficient transportation, and we, you know. It, at the University of Regina or at this university, we're such an important big part of our community that if, if we get behind something, we can tell the transit system, you know, you make this work. You, you provide a, a very efficient system that is, is going to encourage people not to use their individual cars. And, and uh, um, Dustin took both these courses. Uh, you know, I've seen Dustin uh, become p political and step forward and take responsibility. And, Really, really wish he was here, but he's you know he's piled up with work. And uh, um, anyway, I just uh, I, I, there was one individual who made a difference. You know, maybe it didn't come in this way at this time, but I think it's something like this. Once, once the it gets this developed, it's going to happen one way or other. And I got a feeling it's going to happen at the University of Regina. And what a wonderful uh, contribution you've made to. Uh, the, this class and, and the students in, in, in this room uh, and um, what a contribution, whatever this document might be in the future and whatever it might generate in the future. Uh, I know uh, Joyce Green had uh, quite a bit to do with uh, encouraging at least Hillary to uh, take part. Professor Green, who is uh, Joyce Green, who's worked at the University of Lethbridge. She's now at the University of Regina in the Political Science Department. She were, used to work in uh, Native American studies, actually. So uh, through Hillary, I'll say uh, thanks a lot, uh, Professor Green. And uh, yeah, and uh, so so great to meet you. And uh, why don't uh, why don't you guys come to the Parkland conference? It's probably. Uh, <laughs>
for sure I'll be there. Hopefully yep. some other people from around the table will come. One thing that I wanted to say to just in closing around the idea of referendum is a lot of people will tell you that there is student that student apathy is this massive, massive issue. And the thing that I love the most about referendum is you take one simply worded question and it sparks all of this involvement and all of this debate. So when people say that students are apathetic, I think, I mean, our our highest voter turnout was in a referendum last year as well. And I think that, you know, they're tools that we can use. So we just have to. And I like Sheila's point that they have long lasting effects beyond mm -hmm. just that one initial vote. Yeah. But that voting is up in student uh, representational activities like the student uh, union elections that exactly. they've seen a progression in more voter turnout. So. They're an important mechanism and an, an important participatory tool for democracy. So I hope uh, Evan uh, Thornton is out there in Ottawa catching this. He usually watches this sometimes, Ron Howe in uh, Vancouver. And uh, we'll see you in the World Wide Web soon and in this classroom. And thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. Real thank pleasure. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Tony, before you cut me off, um, will Tony Clark be part of it from the Polaris Institute on water next week? And if he isn't, you should try getting him and I can help you. Good idea. Our products suck. Good idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah, blue gold, isn't it? Uh, Tony Clark blue and Maude Barlow. Yeah, I want blue water. Blue, blue gold, yeah. Yeah. And then there's another one, bottled water by Tony Clark. A newer one. And, uh, Jonathan Veal. I guess Jonathan is run out of power, but we'll see him next week. Okay. See you, man. Good to see you again, Tony. Yeah, great to see you, and thanks. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming.